The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is Graham Scott, and you're listening to the Agile Uprising podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. I'm your host once again, Jay Hersko. And joining with me, I have a professional accountant extraordinaire, uh, straight from the other side of the planet, Graham Scott. Uh, Graham, thanks for joining. It's a pleasure to be here, Jay. We, we are. I'm glad I got connected to you, and I'm glad to have you. So before we dive in, uh, just to tell all you listeners, so what are we going to talk about this week? So as you're aware, we are doing a uh, series all around theory of constraints, the, the takasans, if you will. And we've had uh, multiple different speakers and people come forward that we're interviewing to talk about all sorts of different aspects of theory of constraints and their related practices. And one of the practices that gets called up a lot, but nobody really understands is throughput accounting. Now, there are a couple of books out there. Um, there's a couple of things you can read, but it doesn't really make, make sense to the layperson. So uh, thank you to Clark Ching, who hooked me up with Graham. Graham is an actual practicing accountant. So he's not just an, uh, for lack of a better term, an agile nerd to insult us all, um, waxing on about theory. He's actually doing this in real life. So Graham, I'm going to pass the baton over to you. Um, just give a quick intro about yourself, a quick bio. Uh, somebody saddles up to you at a bar and says, hey, Graham, who are you and what do you do? Your answer is? Well, um, according to the marketing people, I need to be a little bit more uh, excited about what I do. But it's funny, you, you know how doctors complain that they go to parties and everyone bails them up and tells them about their bad back and their sore knee and their kidney. I find that when you're an accountant and you tell people that, they start telling you all about their business. <laughs> and, and I think for... Um, for small business owners anyway, it's a, it's a pretty lonely place. So um, I've actually, as of the 31st of March, which is the end of our financial year in New Zealand, I've just sold the second half of my accounting practice. And I'm looking to get more into this, uh, the TOC side of things, consulting, um, that sort of thing. So I got introduced to TOC oh, 12 or 13 years ago. We put the drum buffer rope principles into my accounting practice and it worked so well that I was able to take nine months off and go traveling with my family, which was just fantastic. That's amazing. We spent time in South America, um, Europe, uh, Thailand, all sorts of wonderful things. 
I got back and I was basically redundant from my job. So I thought I'd better learn a bit more about how this uh, TOC works. So went on a few courses, uh, love an audience, so ended up teaching uh, the courses. And I just used the principles on a regular basis with my clients all the time. I've also just completed a, a master's degree where I took the, the, the thinking tools, the philosophy behind it. Um, TOC is, uh, there's a whole lot of thinking tools behind it, which give you a, a systems analysis and a way of finding the root cause, the one thing that's causing all these problems. So I've applied that to budgeting and I'm hoping that uh, we'll have a bit of time later on to talk about that. Perfect. But I, I am, I, and like I was telling a few listeners, like I was telling Graham when I told a couple of people that we were doing this episode specifically around throughput accounting and then going to lean on Graham's experience with his master's in enterprise budgeting using, uh, like he said, the thinking tools for theory of constraints. I, people were coming out of the woodwork. I'm so excited that we're going to get to talk about this. So it's, um, it's going to be a, a fun conversation. So, before we go down that path, Graham, let's start with the basics, right? So when you say throughput accounting, the first thought to everyone is gap and FASB and debits and credits and the two column way that, you know, everybody who's ever taken a college course, that's what they're taught. But throughput accounting is really more about management accounting versus financial accounting. Can you explain the difference between that for, for someone who maybe has never even heard those two terms before? Okay, absolutely. So I suppose the, the first thing is understanding that for every enterprise, there will be a constraint of some sort. And if the, the cliche we use in, in TOC circles is if you're not managing the constraint, the constraint is managing you. And if you haven't identified your constraint, then the chances are you're spending money and time on all sorts of things that aren't going to have any impact on the bottom line. So that, that's the first thing we need to, need to agree that there is a constraint. And I think unless you're a, an outfit like Microsoft, all organizations, that's prof, uh, commercial ones, not-for-profits as well, they have a limit on how quickly they can grow. Without a constraint, we'd be just growing exponentially. So if the key to make your business better is to manage the constraint, then it makes sense to manage the numbers going through the constraint. So one of, one of the ways I like to explain it is we all know about motorways, freeways, how they have choke points. And it might be where four lanes come down to three. It might be where two or three busy on-ramps meet. And there, there is a choke point there. Theory of constraints says we need to gate the flow on those on-ramps so that the choke point flows. Mm -hmm. If there's too many cars in the, in the choke point, it, it becomes a parking lot and nothing's moving. If there's too few cars going through, then we're missing out on, on volume. And really all... all uh, throughput accounting is doing is putting a toll gate over that choke point so we can measure the money going through. Obviously, a, a truck pays more than a motorbike mm -hmm. and a car pays a bit more. So what we're trying to do is optimize the flow of money through that choke point. 
And I think uh, the episode before this, I think was Clark, Clark Ching, the bottleneck guy. And we talked about in that mm-hmm. episode where any, um, uh, any, um, any availability at the, the, the constraint that is unused is literally lost revenue. It's lost yes. money because you can't, you can't make that money back. And the, 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 the crux of theory of constraints is you want to optimize your entire system to take advantage of that constraint to generate, like, like your, your example with feed ramps and, and on ramps onto the highway, you want to, you want to, you want to gate the, the usage of this process of the flow of the system so that it's a sustainable pace. That's not going to go completely insane. Right. Absolutely. There's a sweet spot there where the speed of the cars and the volume of the cars will maximize both the number of vehicles, but also the revenue as well, if you're counting it. And so that's one of the, one of the major differences, I think, between throughput accounting and things like full cost accounting or activity-based costing. Uh, if you can imagine a very, very simple profit and loss statement, top line is sales, Below that, we have our variable costs, uh, cost of goods. If, if we're in a manufacturing situation, it'll be uh, the raw materials. That gives us our gross profit. And then we have our fixed costs, our rent, power, those type of things. Now, what activity-based costing and full costing does is it tries to take those fixed costs and push them up into the, the variable costs. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a big mistake. TOC does the exact opposite. If it's not a one-to-one correlation with a sale, then we push it down below. Now, activity-based costing, full, full costing, they're saying that over time, everything is variable. Our rent is variable because over time, we might need a bigger factory. What TOC is saying is that that's, that's okay for long-term strategic thinking, but for management thinking, for making decisions on, on the factory floor or in a service industry, you need to keep it as simple as possible. So, the sort of things, I mean, in, in my accounting practice, uh, we don't have a lot of variable costs anyway. Mm. So the way we manage that is we worked out it costs us about $5,000 a day to open the doors. And we just need to make sure that on average, at least $5,000 worth of work is going out the door every day. And that's our simple management hmm. strategy. And that ties to one of the biggest complaints that anybody in an enterprise setting has, um, which is where I think things like TOC and throughput accounting can really make a difference is um, people uh, typically you use cost accounting as a way to make decisions. It's almost like, for, again, management accounting, right? So, yeah. uh, oh, well, this, I hate to use this term, but this resource costs X and this project costs Y and here's how much budget we've got. So we're going to use these, these numbers, which, to your point, may or may not, like your example of rent, right? Um, at one point, rent is fixed, but rent is also variable, right? Depending upon timeline, there's all these other attributes, mm-hmm. right? Where we're losing the nuance and oversimplifying. So 
um, senior leaders and people who are decision-making will be making these decisions based upon a preconceived notion of cost, um, almost like a sunk cost. That's not, not really the, the, the smartest, I'll put it this way, not the smartest way to figure out where you want to put your money. I mean, especially if you have a, a constraint, like you said, if everything was unconstrained, it would be growth to the moon, right? But that's not realistic. Yeah. So realistically, you need to budget your um, spend and your investment and even optimize your process around your constraint to make yourself, you know, like you said, the throughput goes up, investment, you know, you want to, you can decrease your investment by increasing your throughput. And then as a, as a knockout to that, you almost minimize your operating expense, right? Because you're becoming more predictable and more reliable. Absolutely. And the problem with those management decisions you're talking about is you might have a, a range of products and because you're trying to recover the cost of, of rent and uh, administrators and things like that, it looks like one particular product is unprofitable. The problem is if you stop producing that, you don't lose the rent expense. Mm -hmm. It's still then got to be absorbed by all the other products. It doesn't go away. Um, I was talking this uh, about this last week with a, uh, a guy. He has a, a barging business and his uh, operating officer is they have spare barge capacity sometimes and it would make sense for them to rent it out to people but they keep missing out on on the tenders because they're priced too high and this guy was saying oh yeah but we've got to cover the cost of of the repairs and and you know our head office and all that sort of thing and I'm saying no no that's exactly the mm -hmm. wrong reaction those barges are sitting there idle. The only cost is, well, I don't know what the cost is. They're rusting at the same rate that they normally would. They're going <laughs> to need the same amount of repairs that they normally would. Those are fixed costs. If you can make a dollar an hour from running those things, then that's going to contribute to the bottom line. Because so his, his constraint is his is his amount of barges that he has available, right? And like you said, yeah. if, they're, if they're sitting idle in, in a port not being used, well, that's that's lost. You're going to use this term. That's lost throughput that he can't that ever get back. Absolutely lost throughput. And the um, that whole uh, one of one of the clients that has um, he's worked really well with this stuff with me. Um, he's a surgeon, but he doesn't have an ego, which is. Uh, a little bit interesting. <laughs> a little odd, interesting. Yeah, that's unique. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, It's wonderful because we sit down, we talk about these concepts, he goes away and does stuff and gets fantastic results. So he is definitely the constraint of his business. The, the business only makes money basically when he's on the end of a scalpel operating. And he's further constrained because he has to book operating theatres he uses he does some things under general anesthetic and some just under intravenous sedation so he books those in four-hour blocks if a patient doesn't turn up he's missed an opportunity mm -hmm. to make money and as you said before that opportunity has gone forever and when we first started working together his receptionist was booking patients when it suited them. And he would often have 
a block of operating time that had a gap in it. So we fixed that. He now, now makes sure that every uh, operating block is full before he opens another one. And then he was finding that occasionally people have to cancel at the last minute. You know, very good reasons for it. Mm -hmm. And for some people, uh, it, it's a real palaver to, to get themselves. They've got to take annual leave. They've got to arrange babysitters, all sorts of things. But there's a few, a certain percentage of the population that can come at a couple of hours notice. And in fact, they are happy that their operation is brought forward six weeks, perhaps. Mm. So he's making sure that he is filling that time that he's, he's got available that that part of the constraint is, is absolutely full. So that was the first part that we went through. And then the next part is when we got the throughput accounting involved. I got him to go away and just build a spreadsheet. He does about 25, 30 different procedures. He put down in one column how much each procedure was worth to him, just on a throughput basis. So less the cost of the anaesthetist, the cost of, uh, of any uh, the facility, any all bits that sort of, of stuff, met yeah. metal, anything that, that sort of thing. And then how long each procedure took. And it was incredible. It was a while ago now. We're talking New Zealand dollars, so uh, don't get too hung up on the actual <laughs> figures. But his, he was doing some procedures that were earning him $800 an hour. And he was doing some that were earning him $3,200 an hour. So it was a fourfold difference. And that's what we need throughput accounting for, to actually make sure that even if our constraint capacity is full and the flow through there is as much as it can be, we're also now measuring the, the flow of dollars through there. Right, right. So if I'm going to spend my time on the work to generate the throughput, I want to do the most profitable work that that makes the most sense, right? You're maximizing, yeah. you're minimizing waste while maximizing throughput, right? This is yeah. this is lean agile one on one, and this okay. comes into play with um, making an analogy to software. Um, this comes into play with you know our most expensive resource is typically our development staff, right? They're highly yeah. they're highly um, knowledgeable. Um, high, usually typically high levels of intelligence, high levels of experience. You want to keep them busy. Now, the problem I think we run into as software professionals, especially when you get to large enterprise PMO type organizations is they want to concentrate on resource efficiency, right? Is, is Graham my, my, um, my, my um, Scala developer? Is he busy 100% of the time? Because somebody somewhere is using a cost accounting measure to say, well, I have to pay for Graham. So yeah. I better make sure he's busy all the time. However, that's not efficient for the overall flow of the process. Um, yeah. And what that does is you generate so much work that you're then stuffing into a system where maybe QA might not be the constraint, but you're making them the constraint if you're jamming yeah. too much code in there, right? And and to your point about the barges, right? Um, uh, in in scaled agile, there's this concept of lean portfolio management. And they talk about you know um, funding teams as opposed to projects. The cost for that development team is going to remain constant no matter what you do. It's if you need the mm. team for a year, you're going to have that team for a year. So yeah, it's a fixed why cost. Would, yeah, why would you want to jam as much crap into that 
funnel as you can because there's the the unintended consequence consequences of you burn people out you you yeah. you try you you rush change to the point where people just can't deal with it anymore you know efficiency goes down all these things that you know we say that are important but we really just i need to keep people busy i need to get work done it, the knock-on effects right uh, the best <laughs> wildly aside the best example of real life i have ever found on a tv show is breaking bad and here's why not that everybody should be a methamphetamine dealer right it's the fact that that show boils down to two words unintended consequences walter white gets cancer he decides to sell drugs to 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 make sure his family is taken care of and everything everything he does there's an unintended consequence that spirals out of control well the unintended consequence of resource efficiency is I end up with too much work in a system. I'm, I'm yeah. literally killing people. I'm burning them out and they're not fungible. You don't just hot swap a great Java developer, right? The, the meat widget concept, right? It's not there. And then mm. you end up with half done stuff, half utilized stuff, projects that get 70%, every project is 70% yeah. done because nothing is purely prioritized. It's bedlam. And that's where I think the, the concept of understanding the constraint and maximizing the utilization of the yeah. constraint and only approving work that's going to flow through the constraint at a measured flow. I mean, this, it seems almost counterintuitive, but, but, but when I ask if, if they teach, well, not counterintuitive, it seems almost simple that you kind of go, well, why don't more people do this? And I think grandma in our initial conversation, mm-hmm. I said, do they teach this? And there's no, they don't teach throughput accounting. Most MBA courses don't teach throughput accounting. There are very few places actually teach this as a discipline. And it kind of makes me wonder, like, what are they teaching people? Cost accounting management? It's basically it. it. Yeah. Um, the, the, the budgeting stuff I did, I've done a couple of presentations to uh, CFOs, uh, pub, public CFOs, and um, also commercial CFOs, a room full of 50 uh, CFOs who... They, they were brought up on this stuff. And man, I felt like I was telling them their baby was ugly. <laughs> this, this, this budgeting stuff you're doing is not working. It's, it's got all these unintended consequences. But just um, rewinding a second, I think the hardest thing for people to get their head around is the only way that you can have the constraint efficient is to have idle capacity around it. Mm-hmm. If, if we go back to that motorway example, um, in an effort to stop our motorways clogging over here, we often have traffic lights at the on-ramps. Now, if there was someone controlling the flow of the on-ramps, if everyone was making sure their on-ramp was as efficient as possible, then you'd get a hell of a log jam further mm-hmm. down. So the only way you can have your constraint efficient and working well is if there's idle capacity around it. So, you know, the surgeon um, that I was talking about earlier, we were, uh, he tries to aim for four procedures in his four hour block. And I said to him one day, you know, what, what, um, what's stopping you doing five procedures? Is it, a, is it a mental thing? He said, oh, no, no, I can, I can cope. When I'm operating, I'm in the zone. It's, it's just, it's my happy place. Oh, so what stops you doing um, an extra one? He said, oh, sometimes the nurses can't keep up with me. 
And at this stage, he was making, he was aiming for about $1,000 an hour. And I said, oh, well, how much would an extra nurse cost? He said, oh, they're quite expensive. They're about $28 an hour. <laughs> I don't think anybody, you know, how did that conversation go? <laughs> well, I, I just stopped talking and, and let, the, let the wheels go round. And he said, yeah, I should probably get another nurse, shouldn't I? And then came the kicker, but they'd have nothing to do half the time. And I said, so what? Mm -hmm. And that was, that was a light bulb moment for him. Um, as it turned out, you know, they, the nurses get quite tired being on their feet for four hours. If one of them could have a rest, that was great. Um, and he's now taken his constraint to another level and when he's doing his IV sedations, he has two theatres side by side and he'll jam the drugs into, into your arm. And while they're taking effect, he's next door operating on me and he's got nurses making sure that um, everyone's supervised all at the same time. And that's, that's a way of, of getting more output through the constraint. But that, I think that's the biggest psychological thing for people to yes. get through is that you need idle people. Yeah, and getting comfortable, like you said, with the idea of I'm paying for you. Why are you just sitting around? Go push a broom or something. And yeah. we, we interviewed him. Um, we got to interview Steve Tendon from Taveflow, and he made a oh, remark. Yes, yeah. like, I, I want to turn this to a poster where we were talking about that whole idea of resource efficiency and how we, you know, we conceptually think we have the, we need to keep people busy. And he made this remark where he said, well, if you have nothing to do, go fishing. And I burst yeah. out laughing when he said that yeah. because he is 100% spot on, right? You're yeah. paying for me regardless. And yeah. while it may offend, I guess, maybe it's this weird, I mean, especially in America, right? It's gotta be this weird leftover puritanical work ethic value yeah. thing where we don't understand that it's okay to have someone idle, but they're idle because you're maximizing your throughput. So when you put the two, yeah, it, it should cognitively balance. And you're right. That probably is a giant st a sticking point. Yeah. And I think if you know nothing about this and if you're, you know, industrial revolution factory, you're much better off having everyone busy than having no one busy. Mm -hmm. But the next the next evolution of that is having the right people busy. Yes. And I was uh, talking about this uh, yesterday with a guy and it, it occurred to me that what we want is we want our bottleneck to be efficient and the non-bottlenecks to be effective. Perfect. That's a good way to think about it. It's a really awesome way to think about it. Yeah. Because your, your senior developer that you were talking about before, one of the reasons they're overworked is that the juniors have got nothing to do. So they start pulling work forward. They make mm -hmm. a muck up of it. They then have to give it to the senior guy to fix. And he feels he has to do it to keep them busy. And in actual fact, the whole thing would flow much better uh, if, if they just sat there and did nothing for a while. Yep. Um, had, had a guy come on the, the course who was in exactly this position and he came on to learn the thinking tools and he was convinced that he was so busy as the senior developer on the team that he needed more people around him. By the end of the course, he realized 
that the reason he was in the position he was is because he kept employing people. And these people were sending him work that wasn't due for a while. And of course, they wanted to get it done mm-hmm. quickly. So they weren't doing all the the, the testing and, and things before they started. They were just getting stuck in and writing code. And then he'd train them that he'd fix it all for them. It's the question of, yeah, I got this. I got all this done. But how good of a job did you do? You know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. um, I, <laughs> so uh, I was on PTO last week and the wife asked me to build a gate to cover our deck so I can let the dogs out of the sunroom and they can sit in the deck in the sun and not be in the crates mm-hmm. and what have you. Um, and it took me all day. And mm-hmm. she said, well, what? I was expecting you to just put up like two two by fours and a piece of lattice. And I said, well, mm-hmm. there are 130 pound dogs. They'll go right through the lattice. She goes, yeah. Well, then you'd need another two by four. I said, well, I would need another two, but then that would be heavy and then you can't move it. And then she goes, well, put it on wheels. I said, okay, well, if I'm going to put it on wheels, I need a handle. And she goes, okay, well, if you need a handle, then what? I said, but how is it going to stand up? So I start talking through this and she's like, I don't understand why this took all day. And then I finally pull out the gate and it's, it's two by threes that I used a router to route a channel out. And I have lattice in there and wheels and handle and locks. I said, here's what I did. And she stopped and she went, okay, this is absolutely perfect and way more than I was expecting. I could have just done something half-assed, truthfully. I yeah. could have just thrown the lattice together knowing it was going to break. But I, I created less work for myself long-term by optimizing what I'm doing right now. There's a whole, there's a, there's a different parable about my relationship in there, but we're not, this isn't a, this isn't a therapy <laughs> podcast. This is an a, a agile podcast. So I want to talk, Graham, I want to, I want to pivot the conversation to your enterprise budgeting work, right? So like you said, you've done yeah. a master's. Um, you did send your one paper yeah. to me. I'm going to put that into the show notes so everybody can read it. Can we talk a little bit about your experiences there and what some of the things you found? Yeah. Um, I, I was inspired to do this um, on, a, on a local, I was on a local trust and being the accountant, I had to deal with the local council who wanted us to create budgets. And it was just such a clumsy, frustrating process. You know, when you're used to being in your own business, you make decisions, stuff happens. <laughs> Doesn't quite work like that with councils. <laughs> so um started to do some reading realized that um there was there were all these complaints budgets they they take too long um the bullies get more than their fair share we end up overspending um people feel disempowered because there's no money in the budget till next year um and you end up not being able to do things that you should do because they're not in the budget and then you end up doing things that you shouldn't do because they were in the budget. Right. And it made, right. it made sense 12 months ago. So uh, the waste, and then of course, your department and my department, we're not going to cooperate because we're both scared that whatever we come up with will come out of our budgets. Mm-hmm. And we, so it, it builds barriers. Uh, you get siloing between departments. And I have to spend everything, the every cent that you gave me, or I won't get Otherwise it next year. I'll, I'll lose it ne- for next year. Yep. Yeah. So all these problems. And when you start doing research, they talk about a PhD being an inch wide and a mile deep. So someone has spent, you know, four or five years of their life proving that each one of these things exists 
And it, it seems to me that no one's actually grabbed all these things and see how they, they fit together. And the, the, the sort of conclusion I came to is the problem is, and I've, I'm mainly talking about the cost side of things here, at the beginning of the year or six months before the start of the year when we're making these predictions, we're trying to guess what things are going to cost us. And you know, some things are more unpredictable than others, but basically costs are unpredictable and there's negative consequences for getting it wrong. If you're the manager, mm-hmm. then you don't want to be seen as an unreliable forecaster. You want to make sure you can deliver on all your KPIs. You want to get promotions. You want to get a raise. So it's really important that you, uh, you get the money that you need and there's a buffer in there. There's a contingency in case things go over. On the other side of it, if you're the CEO, the board of directors, the council, you want to make sure that you don't overspend as an organization because you don't want the bad press. You want to uh, perhaps meet the budgets that you've put to the, the stock exchange or you know, get voted in next time mm-hmm. as a councillor, mm-hmm. these sort of things. So there's, there's all these pressures and you get all these weird and wonderful behaviours. People build in a buffer and then there's negative consequences if they don't spend it. They're still seen as unreliable forecasters, but the chances are that, oh, if you didn't need it last year, you, you know, this year, you won't need it next year. And it might be that I do need it next year. So there's this pressure. Um, we, we're coming up, uh, the government end of year and local government end of year is 30th of June here in New Zealand. So I know that over the next couple of months, there's going to be a huge amount of spending uh, as people try and use up their budgets. Mm-hmm. Had, a, had a client a few years ago that had a small civil construction firm. You know, he had diggers and, and uh, rollers and things and used to, used to do roading and um, drainage and, and curb and channeling, that sort of stuff. And at this time of the year, he would be absolutely flat out. First of July, nothing. Unless someone had said, oh, you can do it in July, just invoice me in June. Yeah. So this sort of behavior, and my question is, if you didn't need the money in the first 10 months of the year, did you really need it in that last right. couple of months? And I mean, it, it's human nature. I think some of the literature was accusing people of playing games, being dishonest. But I think it's just people trying to do their job properly, making mm-hmm. sure they've got enough money in the bank. Uh, or yeah, I think a big part of them. it, to your point, Graham, is incentivization. Yeah. It's how it's how am I how am I um, judge as an employee? How am I um, financially yeah. compensated? How do I climb the ladder? A lot of this has to do with, like you said, we plan to do this in January. We have to yeah. do it. Even though that maybe, I mean, and even if the world has changed, and I think the best example is what we just lived through with the lockdowns yeah. and, and COVID-19, right? Yeah. I, every company had plans for that year that got waylaid when, when yeah. you know, companies that weren't used to having distributed or dislocated workforces, companies that not everybody had a laptop, so they had to roll out laptops, yeah. everybody, right? Like this was, could have been the greatest teaching moment ever to about not only complexity, but to 
you know, dedication to a, a budget that is probably unrealistic. You know, I, I think a lot about, um, we're going to have him on the show. Biarts, uh, I'm going to butcher his name. Biarts, uh, Bog, Bosnes, Bosnes, yeah, I, and Beyond I, um, Budgeting. Yeah. And he talks about how the three um, things we use a budget for is a target, a forecast, and resource planning. And it is not meant for any of those things. So it does kind of make you wonder, like, why do we get so married to it? Yeah. Um, And I I actually listened to um, Biate. I'm not not very good on his name either. Um, Listened to one of his webinars yesterday. Um, I don't know enough about uh, beyond budgeting um, it looks like it's uh, it's a huge mind shift for people the examples I've seen where it works really well uh, have been in in things like banks and there's a, a um, an outfit here in New Zealand which is um, freight forward as trucking mm-hmm. and when you when you've got lots of small, uh, almost sub-businesses around the place and they can run themselves, it definitely works well then. I haven't quite understood yet, so I, I will listen listen into the next podcast <laughs> well, to find out how it works in a, in a large organization. Well, he, um, y- your point is right though, Graham, because even with throughput accounting, right, it's very much a mindset change. It's yeah. opening up your mind to the idea that, you know, maybe this isn't, Maybe this isn't, maybe what we're doing is not the smartest way to do it. And we should think about yeah. a different option. Yeah, well, so the, the option that um, appears to make sense and are you, are you familiar with the uh, TOC critical chain project management? Funnily enough, I am speaking to later today, I'm actually speaking to Jack Vincent. He's coming on to okay. talk about CCPM. Yep. Okay. So, um Generally, what happens with uh, with budget uh, with projects is, let's say you've got five tasks. You ask everyone how long their tasks going to take, and they do the old, "Oh, well, if it goes really well, it'll be one week. Not so bad, two weeks. It'll be three weeks." And then they they waste. You know, they start late because they know they've got all this contingency, um, or they finish early but don't tell the next guy so that saving gets wasted. So what I've, um, what I've found is that, that the same thinking actually works and will cure all the, all the problems with budgeting. We know that everyone in the organization has built in a buffer for their budget. Let's just strip it out at the start of the year, put it in one big central buffer, and it means that for the the leaders of the organization, the overall budget is still the same size, but we've stripped the buffer out of the individual uh, budgets, put it in the middle, and then it's up to the budget holders to negotiate with each other Mm -hmm. when an opportunity comes up, when they have a genuine overrun. And there's a few prerequisites in place. Everyone's got to be absolutely... uh, clear on the strategic direction of the organization. Everyone needs to know how their department fits in with it. And then they've just got to play nicely in the same sandpit and and allocate that money on on a more agile way, shall we say, a more flexible way, rather than casting it in 
in concrete 18 months before the, uh, before the end of the financial year, or a few months before the year even starts, let's leave it loose. And that's right. certainly one of the principles of, of beyond budgeting is that you're, you're not having these artificial timelines. Right. The whole idea of rolling planning, like you said, yeah. if I, if I said I was going to do it in January and then the world changes, I shouldn't still yeah. be, if it's not still feasible, I shouldn't still having, I should not still be having designs on doing it in October, yeah. November, just to do the yeah. budget, because I said we were going to do it, even though the world has completely changed. And that Absolutely. was the, yeah. and, and you, you used a, a great term before when you said, you know, a lot of these uh, TOC thinking tools, right? Because a lot yeah. of it, like you used, um, what is it? CRT? which is the, the critical, uh, what is that? Current, current reality tree. That's it, that's it. And it's really just a way of, of uh, mapping out all the cause and effects. So uh, one of, one of the, the core problems with, um, with budgeting is we want to control costs, which puts pressure on us to have control in the upper management. But on the other side, we need to be flexible and reactive. So we should have control at the coalface with lower management. Mm -hmm. And when you get control upper management, control lower management, then you get all these negative effects. You get the lower management as building lots of buffer in because they've lost control. Um, you, yeah, it, it all just flows from there. So it's a great way of looking at a system. Um, I think that the psychologists tell us that people can hold, is it about seven thoughts in their head at the same time, plus or minus yeah. three? Yeah, or something so, like uh, it's seven, was it seven seconds? You can hold an idea before it, it basically disappears. Yeah. So you, you can't concentrate longer than that, yeah. Yeah, so, so when you've got a system with 20, 30, 50 moving parts, the human brain can't cope with it. You mm -hmm. need a way of downloading it onto a bit of paper so that you can see it in, in one go. And if you don't do that, you tend to be playing whack-a-mole. Mm -hmm. Something pops up, you whack that one, but there's so many other pathways, so many other cause and effects in there that something else will pop up. And before you know it, the first one's popped up again. And, and, it, and, it, and listening to you speak, Graham, I kind of think that and I've noticed this 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 thread with a lot of the people I've spoken to lately is a lot of this comes down to strategy and vision and clear understanding from everybody, right? And the yeah. the, the the cliche example is President Kennedy saying, "I believe it's in you know it is possible for Americans to safely get a man to the moon and return him within mm -hmm. ten years or whatever." Um, yeah. And everybody understood that North Star, and it yeah. really comes down to a lot of the product management, the strategy, the vision piece where. It, reprioritizing budget is easy if everybody can turn and say is does this ask that we're thinking of does this initiative yes. still match our overriding vision yn and if the answer is n well it's self-explanatory yeah you do it you um you take something else off the table uh, very much needs that needs that leadership needs that, that clear goal and if you've got that and one of the objectives is to have the constraint running as, as sweetly as possible, then it's perfectly acceptable for someone to be going fishing for the afternoon. 
<laughs> there is, and I think that's a, I think I'm going to end on that quote because that's a kind of, kind of nails it. So Graham, let me ask you this for our listeners that are curious that they want to, maybe they want to ask you some questions, get in touch. Um, yeah. I am going to put, um, I am going to put a link to your paper out there that you sent me okay. so we can, yeah. we can, everybody can free download that. Um, if they want more information and want to find you, where should they, where should they go? Where should they look? Uh, on, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, that's possibly the easiest. Uh, I do have a, a new email address, uh, which is Graham W Scott NZ at gmail.com. Um, yeah, love talking about this stuff. So, so more than more than happy to um, field questions and uh, you know have a Zoom call with with anyone that's interested. Um, I've also, if if anyone's interested, um, Clark's helping me write a book at the moment, um, <laughs> basically on on the journey that the surgeon I mentioned has gone through. Um, from being getting his first real job in his mid thirties, having done fifteen years of training, um, I, I joke about it with him. It takes six months to learn how to cut someone open and and sew them up. It takes another fifteen years to learn what to do when it goes wrong. <laughs> there's a reason why <laughs> there's a reason why doctors are always considered practicing medicine yes. it's never mastery it's yeah. practicing well um graham when when your book is ready to come out we were definitely going to have you back on because i can't wait to have that conversation um so on behalf of myself and all the listeners graham i want to thank you for taking time out of your morning to come sit with us on behalf of graham and myself i want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in once again uh, if you thank liked you what much. you heard uh please give us a review a rating leave a comment itunes spotify stitcher whatever podcast platform of choice you plan on using um, if you want to hop in on the conversation we have a very vibrant discord channel there's a lot of dialogue going on there um i keep trying to push this theory of constraints thing come hell or high water so hop in there and get on the conversation and lastly, I'd be remiss if I didn't send a gracious shout out to Machine Man Records and their artist Krebs who provided us our outro music free of charge. Uh, so now we don't get copyright violations from YouTube, which is fantastic. So once again, Graham, I want to thank you for coming on. And until next time, this is the Agile Uprising podcast signing out. Goodbye and thank you. Big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big